and uh, and we're going to do our candle lighting. What candles are we? Let's have. If the kids would like to come up, they may. You can just ah, they're saying ah, let's just stay where we are. Okay. I I just uh, what candle are we lighting today? From the children especially, but if I'll take any hand that wants it. What candle are we lighting today? Okay, we've lit hope, joy, and peace. Well, hope, peace, and joy. Love. 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 Okay. I got this one here too. Thank you. Okay. So, What's the center candle? Yes. The Christ candle. And when do we go, when are we going to light that? Do you have any ideas? Okay, I'll call it. Yes? No? On Christmas. Well, since we don't come to church on Christmas Day, we're going to have a service tonight. So when do you think we're going to light it? <laughs> yeah, tonight. Okay, it's, uh, we light the, the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. And that's the candle in the center. And uh, the scripture reading today is from 1 John. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He first loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. We have our reading also from the uh, Catechism, and this is question 11 today, and the question is, what does God require in the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments? And the answer is, and if you want to read it with me, you may, 6th, that we do not hurt or hate our neighbor, 7th, that we live faithfully, Eight, we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else. Very good. Thank you. Okay, we dismiss our children now for their program. I will be sharing this morning from the scripture that we just read out of 1 John, uh, adding verse uh, 16 to the, the, the verses. It says, uh, 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
could ask you for a definition right now. Somebody going to give me a definition for love? I've been doing this each each time with, with our candles. So, uh, definition for love. If, if you can't catch it from this, I'm really in trouble. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. God is love. Okay. He is the epitome of what God, what love is. It rests in Him. It's His love that allows us to have love. And He says He abides in us. The world has a whole definition of its own about what love is. And all of us are keenly aware of all the different ideas that love can conceive of. But the love that God has is a superior or above and beyond love. It's an unconditional love. It says, I love you, period. Uh, some people would say this is the, the love that parents have for their children. And while we desire to have that, we're still inadequate compared to what God has for us. And so we look at God's love, and here in, in, in 1 John it says, you know, God's love is made manifest among us in the ninth verse of 1 John of chapter 4. And the idea of made manifest is that God sent His only Son into the world. I, I think we could go back to John chapter 1 and verses that I frequently use. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says in verse 14, and the Word came and dwelt among us. And so we have this picture. God sent His only Son. Probably the, the most famous verse would be the John 3.16. You see the signs at football games, the baseball games, Packers hold up. And, but God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for us is demonstrated through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so, God sent His only Son into the world. Again, that's what verse 9 of 1 John says. And a question would be, possibly, that you might ask, would be why? And the answer to that question is, well, that we might live through Him. And the idea of live is more than catch our breath. But, if you research Scripture, you will find that it says that even our breath is a gift from God. And so, our very breath that we take, every breath that we have, is something that God has provided for us. And so, we, we might live, but it, the, question, the picture is that He sent His Son into the world that we might live through Him. Him being Jesus Christ. That we might abide in Christ and that Christ abides us. We might live through Him. Goes on in verse 10, he says, In this, and, and what he's meaning by that, this is what we have just said. God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in this is love. And then I, it's not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. God initiates the, the, the relationship. There are so many misconceptions about how to interact with God. But it, you know, people think, if I do enough good works, if I do enough right things, if I, if I do this, if I do that, if I go to church every Sunday, uh, if I give to the, the missions and, and all this type of thing, that this somehow gets us right with God. But it's that God loved us. That's what we have to get into, the reality. And because He has loved us, 
He comes into our heart and opens our heart, opens our mind to receive from Him. And therefore, we can now worship Him, to love Him. So not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be, this, I love these big words, propitiation. And the only person using this is, is John here in 1 John. And, and so it's propitiation for our sins. And so the word propitiation uh, is, is a word that basically says an act directed towards the offended person. In other words, settling up with the person who has been offended. Jesus is the propitiation. He is the one who settled the debt between us and God. We owed God a debt because of our sin, and the penalty or the cost of that sin is our death. Physically and spiritually. Separation from God eternally. That's what we should experience. And that's what should happen. In fact, the way it is put together in Scripture, you would impl- it implies that it should happen as soon as the sin occurs. But God's grace, His mercy, extends and covers us until we can recognize our sin, come to Him, confess our sin, and be forgiven of our sins. And so it's, an, it's something that where we have offended God. And, and the word says that, that another word that would come in here would be that we have been reconciled. Reconciliation. We've been reconciled with God. We have been made okay with God. The debt has been paid. What hindered our relationship with God has been dealt with. Maybe that's the best way to say it. What hindered us in our relationship from God is with God is that it has been dealt with. And I've made another list here under dealt with. It's been taken care of. It's been settled. It's been paid in full. The words on the cross, it is finished. Paid in full. Verse 11 says, If God so loved us, and we could put in the place of the word if they're perfectly okay. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Oh, I, that's just too many years of teaching kids. Uh, the picture here is that we have a response. If God has loved us and has, has forgiven us, he is the propitiation, the re- reconciliation. He's taken care of, settled, paid in full, finished. The debt is paid in full. Then we should respond with loving this way. And by the way, the implication is loving in the same manner. Forgiving one another unconditionally. I was given a picture years ago by a, a pastor by the name of Dick Beaumont. This was actually before I was a Christian. And uh, he wanted to teach me about what forgiveness was. And he, he, so he was trying to put it into terms where he, he knew me already well enough to know that I was, I, I learned well by visual examples of kind. And so he, we're, we're in, in my, uh, my office and I had a book uh, behind the, on the shelf and he went over picked up the book and he said, this is the sin that, that was committed. This is the history of the sin and all about it. 
And he says, we, we have a, 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 sometimes a bad understanding of what it is when we say God forgets and doesn't bring it back or, you know, it's, it's forgiven forever. Has God forgotten it? Well, we say God forgets the sin, but wait a minute. God can't forget anything that he learns, so uh, what it is is that he puts it on the shelf. And he never takes it off the shelf again to bring it up to me as something that I have done. Now, he, it can be taken off the shelf to show me how to get right and get and, and think, but he'll never take it off the shelf to throw it at me again and say, oh, here, you've done it again. It is forgotten in the context of wrath, judgment. It is forgiven. And he said, that's the way we're to forgive one another. We put it on the shelf and we leave it there. And husbands forgiving their wives, wives forgiving their, their husbands, children and parents and family, that we, we say we forgive and forget. And Jesus uh, talks about, in the Old Testament, excuse me, talks about uh, casting the sin into the sea, as far, you know, the, the deepest part of the sea. And, uh, you know, the idea was obviously was that no man can di- dive deep enough to, to retrieve it. It's forgotten. It's forgiven. And I put up uh, my own little extra on that, and God put up a no fishing sign. I'm not allowed to go back and, and, and pull it out and, and condemn myself all over again. And we come then to, to Romans 1.8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of this is tied to this word of, of being in a relationship with God. Uh, he, is, he is the propitiation, the reconciliation. He's taking care of our sins. And he says, as a result, we are to love one another. Verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4 says, No one has ever seen God. Meaning that the face of God has, has not been something that any man has seen. Even Moses uh, had the shield in, uh, himself. Uh, and that's as close as anyone has come. And so we find in Christ, it says that, you know, somebody says, well, all these people saw Christ. They saw Christ in the flesh, the incarnate Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's not the fullness of who God is. It's the person of Christ. And, and so he says, if you've seen me, you've, you've, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you know me, you know the Father. But nobody has, it says, has, has ever seen God, but he is uh, if we love one another, it says God abides in us. And what that would mean is, is that people should be able to catch a glimpse of God in the body of Christ, in the church, in the people of the church. There should be something about our lives that is different enough that people catch a glimpse of who God is because He abides in all who believe in Him. All who have called out and say, You are the, the, the Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins. I place my faith in You. Everybody who has, has confessed with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, this picture... Is, is for us. He abides in us. His love is perfected in us. And so I, I wrote down here in, in, in this picture, God is love. And I just used a reference of 
you know, John 3.16, which I've already shared with you. Jesus Christ is love. He emptied, he, he loves us so much, he emptied himself, it says in Philippians. He emptied himself and became a man, incarnate. God came into the flesh of a man. And in the context of being in the flesh, he went from baby in the womb to death on the cross. He experienced everything that, that we experienced in order to identify with us and to let us see and that He did it sinlessly for our behalf. That was, his, that was a, a sacrifice of His to do this. And then ultimately, you know, Christ's love, He emptied Himself, became a man, He became a servant. Philippians chapter 5 says even the point of the cross. The Holy Spirit is love. His, he says He abides in us. That means the love of God is in us. He transforms us. The Holy Spirit is in the process of causing our minds to be renewed. As we read the Word of God, as we pray together, as we share together, as we open the Word together like we are this morning, we are in the process of asking the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. That's what we're here for. And as a result, we're no longer seeking the world, but seeking the kingdom of God. In other words, we're not looking forward to what the world has to give us in this life. We're looking forward to the kingdom of God eternally. That is our hope, what we rest in with confidence. You're familiar with the, the great commandment. And Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? Hoping to trap him. And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting out of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, this transforming, it doesn't happen instantly. It's a process. But the longer you walk with Christ, the more you read His words, the more you look through the world and you see things that you, in a sense, start to see through the eyes of Christ. And you see the things around us. And this, this term, not only love the Lord your God, but to love your neighbor becomes something that is reality to you. Our culture, uh, somebody was, was commenting uh, years ago, uh, from a, an Asian culture. Uh, he was staying with somebody uh, in, in Southern California. And uh, he was saying something about uh, the... He was taking a walk, and, the, and the, the place where he was staying, the neighbor was out mowing his lawn, and he stopped to talk with him. And he realized that this neighbor did not know the name of the place where he was staying. And he found out they didn't know his name. In the sense of, uh, and, and certainly not in the sense of, 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 of any kind of relationship. That was something he couldn't understand. It was alien to his culture. But our culture has become very apart in a sense. Our, uh, my family, or my house, my car, whatever. And, and, and so we have this, this picture of, you know, neighbor. And so the question becomes, who is my neighbor? 
you're all familiar with the, the Good Samaritan parable, and I'm not going to go into it, but the idea is, as I see it, is the neighbor is whoever God has put you next to at this point in time. So if you turn to the left or turn to the right, that's your neighbor. It may be a family member for the moment. It may be somebody that is, is visiting the church here today. It may be someone you've never met and now have the opportunity to meet. But the idea is, whoever is next to you at any given point, that is who your neighbor is. And it says to love your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? Well, to love someone is to want to bless them. God has, in His love, has blessed us richly. He has lavished out His grace on us. Okay? And so this idea of, of, of blessing someone else and, and lavishing, uh, pouring out the love of a God in some way. And, and it might be simply knowing that there's a need and you may not even know the person uh, personally, but you've been shared with them that they've got a need in their family, you pray for them. That's an extension of God's love working through you in prayer. You offer your friendship. That's another way to bless us, to offer your friendship. And what is a friend? A friend is a person who you can depend on. It's not just a casual acquaintance. The desire is to become a person that you can depend on. And, and if there's a need or, or whatever, you know that this person will back me up. This person will be there. He's my friend. Someone that you care for. That would go back to the Good Samaritan. He didn't know this person on the road, but he picked him up and, 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 and anoints him with some oil to get him by until he can get him to the inn where he can have him minister to more completely. And he took care of him. Didn't know who he was. Took care of him. So I would put here ministering to those in need. This congregation has been well known in its history for giving and taking care of needs of people that it uh, that that were not a part of our congregation. At one point, <laughs> it was a, a little frustrating, but but. Uh, and the city finally went back and painted it out. But our phone number was written underneath the overpass. Uh, you know, need help, call. And while it creates its own set of difficulties, I thought what a thing to be known for in our, in our congregation is that the people that are needing help know there's a place they can go. taking care of the needs. I think of the rescue mission. We don't know those people. Some people have a, an attitude, well, if, if they this or that, or they should get a job or whatever, and you know, they, they, they've chosen this as their lifestyle. All we are to look at is the need. Are they hungry? Do they need a place to sleep? Are they cold? Do they need a new jacket? We collect socks for the rescue mission. By the way, it's not just socks. It's jackets, sleepy bags, and blankets. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, if you've got a jacket that's in, in good repair and, and you've got a new one for Christmas, you've got one that you can share with someone. And these are blessings beyond your... Just the socks alone are blessings 
And so we are to minister to those in need. And then there's also the opportunity when given, if, if you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to show this love of God to someone else, even maybe for the first time that you've met them, if the opportunity is given. It's not something we are told to force. But when the opportunity is given and someone says, why are you the way you are? Why do you believe the way you believe? You are to be prepared to give a testimony. And as I shared a couple of weeks ago, it's not just what God has done, but what God is doing. And then if the opportunity is there to share what He is going to do with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in eternal life. Again, look at this love. How do, we, how do we get this love moving in us? And it starts, well, look at verse 19 in, in, in 1 John chapter 4. It says, We love because He first loved us. We recognize that God has so loved us that our response is to share His love with someone else. To give the love away. We love because He first loved us. It says in, in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus went to the cross ahead of our accepting Him. In other words, that's how much He loved us. Paul points out to us the importance of this love. And it's very familiar uh, scriptures found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And while they're well known, I'm going to share them again, uh, this morning. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I, I, I'm, a, I'm someone who, who, who speaks, you know, it could be like I'm speaking to you, but I really don't have the love of God in me. I'm nothing but a, sang, a clanging cymbal or, or a, a gong. Noisy gong. You know what a gong is, right? It's the big, huge, round thing like this with the guy that goes, bwong. What do you What do you know about that? If, if you've heard one, uh, either through media or or actually seen one played uh, and, and and used, it's extremely loud for a moment. It vibrates for a little bit. It maybe echoes uh, the the tone for a moment, and then it's what. Silent. It's on. That's what Paul is using as a picture here. He says, if I have, if I'm, uh, have prophetic powers and I understand mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to even remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have, he says, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he gives us this picture of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love hears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It never ends. It continues. 
realize when I read from Scripture, sometimes I, I, I get this picture of how much God loves us. And there's a picture in Romans chapter 8 that's very familiar to you as well, but it belongs here this morning. Paul writes to the Romans, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with, uh, with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against us? God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of, of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In other words, who can condemn us if Christ is standing at the throne of God interceding on our behalf? And I've shared that picture out of, out of, out of Zechariah where the high priest was standing and, 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 and Satan was standing with a list of things to, to, to accuse him of. And before anything happened, the Lord says to Satan, Be quiet. You have nothing to say here. This is the brand I have plucked from the fire. He's mine. Satan stands there with the list of all that we've ever done wanting to accuse us, and he can't say a word because of the blood of Christ covering us as we stand before the throne of God. Again, coming out of Romans chapter 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our seems to be a natural segue right into communion. I'd like to share as we go into communion chapter 2 of First John verses 1 and 2. This is one of the most beautiful scriptures that people don't normally think about very often. John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. In other words, he's trying to give us a picture of, of how to live a life in Christ and, and to put sin aside and, and, to, and to be a righteous person. But we're still in the flesh. We live in the fallen, I call this the fallen flesh. It, it, it's, it is corrupt. God's going to give me a new body. Not only do I live in the flesh, but I live in a fallen world. And sin is going on around me. And sometimes I can't shield myself from it. And sometimes I find myself, before I realize it, participating in it. But he says, you know, if we'll forgive us, if we go to Christ and, 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 and ask for forgiveness, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So it's my little children. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, or I could put it this way, when anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
Jesus is our lawyer. Advocate is a lawyer. He's our defense attorney. He's also sitting at the right hand of God. He's also interceding as our high priest. We can't lose. He is Jesus Christ the righteous, our advocate. And again, John uses this word. He is the propitiation, the reconciliation, the the payment in full for our sins. And not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. He is our advocate, our lawyer, our propitiation, our reconciliation. One more verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down His life for us. That's what we celebrate in communion. We celebrate the love of God. Jesus laid down His life for us. Every time we celebrate communion, we are celebrating what Christ has done for us. He came in the flesh. He emptied Himself. He came in the flesh. He lived the life of a, of a servant to man. Not only just a servant, but even to the point of cross, the cross. It is finished, He says on the cross, and He gives up His last breath. So what was finished was the reconciliation process. Three days later, it was the resurrection. Rest with that confidence. He showed us. He has the power and authority through His resurrection to do what He says He will do for us. He promises eternal life for us. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper with the hope that is ahead of us, with the joy that He has given us and is going on eternally, with the peace that He has given us with God, we are at peace with God and the hope of eternal life. How blessed we are. We're going to sing Silent, Silent Night, I believe. Is that correct? Okay. And uh, while we're singing, I'd ask that you would come up and pick up the communion and take it back to your seat. Uh, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share communion together uh, at the end of the song. So let's do that now, please.
the song there, the verse the the dawn of redeeming grace. It's exactly what we've been talking about today. The redeeming grace, the propitiation, the re, the reconciliation, the covering of our sins. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus come in the flesh. Every time we take the bread and we share together, we are sharing that picture of what Christ has done. Who was who came and coming in the flesh wasn't just the cross. It was from the womb to the cross. And and we rejoice in what Christ has done for us as we share the bread together. Let us share the bread. Once again, the words, it is finished, were said from the cross. Peace had been purchased for all who believe. We are at peace with Christ. Some people think of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and that's, but it's peace on earth in whom God is well pleased. Those who are saved, those who have confessed Christ, we are at peace because of the blood of Christ. Father, again we come to You this morning thanking You for all that You have done for us that You have loved us, that You have poured out Your grace and Your mercy on us. We celebrate this time of the year to reflect on the reality that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Cause Your love and Your mercy and Your grace not to be something that we save for special days or just Sundays, but that it would become who we are as You abide in us and us in You. That we would be a light to the world. A light that shines out the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ to all who You put in our path. Again, we love You. We worship You in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with joy to the world?
And then our evening service is at 8 o'clock tonight. It's only an hour, and uh, you kids can even come in their pajamas if you like. <laughs> Lord bless.